Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. Hi, folks. Be sure to visit my website at dr-history.com for a short personal video message, to listen to the latest stories, and to leave a comment. Well, it is Tuesday and time for one of my absolute favorite segments on the program that has grown and grown and grown. Here we go with Dr. History. Good morning. Good morning, Zeb. How are you? I'm great. A little uh, little cold out there this morning. You know, I went outside at about uh, quarter after five for my daily walk and turned around and went back and got a warmer <laughs> coat. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we're there. Yep. <laughs> so today we're going to talk about the freight wagons, the t- Teamsters, the guys that drove and hauled all this gear and all this heavy stuff uh, back in the Old West. You know, that must have been a real concentrated effort from A, the supplier, to B, the distributors, the retailers, and everything. Even in the Old West, I'm really marveling at how they did oh, yeah. this. So before I start the story, I need to kind of set uh, tell you about some of the things I'm going to be talking about. Okay. okay. Now, the horses actually and sometimes mules were what they called the wheelers, okay? That means the two animals right in front of the wagon, the two closest. Mm -hmm. Those are called wheelers. Mm -hmm. And they were ridden by one and sometimes two men, usually, and it required to operate the wagon. And they were, these two horses were usually bigger than the mules. And they had huge strength uh, for starting wagons moving, and they could withstand the jarring of the heavy wagon tongue. But the mules were the smarter and better suited to work in the desert. Okay, so keep in mind, wheeler. Okay, a wheeler is either a mule or a horse, the two that are right in front of the wagon. Okay. Now, the teamster drove the team with a single long rein known as a jerk line. Uh-huh. Okay, so keep that in mind, folks. Jerk line is how I can he... remember the name jerk. Okay, you got that. And with the aid of his big old long whip, the teamster usually rode on the left wheeler, the left side. And I'm not sure why they usually rode now, on that. Now, let me ask you something. Because in most movies and television westerns, it all seems like they rode on the right in the way. Well, they, according to this, they usually rode on the left. That's interesting. And but they could also sit up on the wagon if they wanted to, up oh, on the seat. Okay. Because they had to work the brake as well. Now, the next uh, guy I want to mention is called the swamper. Okay, the swamper usually rode the last trailer. Uh, and in a hilly in hilly country, he could be uh, on the back to work a break on that back wagon. Now, from the trailer, uh, the swamper, he could a lot of times he'd take a can of rocks because uh, if there was a mule that wasn't exactly working, he could throw a little rock at this mule and kind of get him get his attention. So he had get, to have pretty good aim. Yeah, yeah. So you don't hit your guy in front of you. Yeah. But both men were responsible for getting ready the team, feeding and watering the mules, any veterinary care or repairs that need to be done. There was a stop at noon to feed and water the mules, and they didn't unharness them. They just kept them in harness. 
But the night stops, they had corrals and feed boxes for the mules, and a day's travel averaged about 17 miles. Really? Uh, Varying a little, you know, from leg to leg. But it took about 10 days to make the trip one way, and they even uh, constructed some cabins uh, by the company for the drivers and the swampers when they so stopped So they made 170 miles in 10 days. Yeah. And what from that point further out, what did they do? Well, they just took it to a certain destination, and then either they were that's where they were sold, like if it was a, the town, the destination, oh. or maybe another uh, Teamster outfit took okay. them the next lake. Okay. So I'm going to step out on a limb here once again, oh, and I'm yeah. going to tell you that there's a guy by the name of Joe Fye. P-H-Y, Joe Phi. Uh-huh. And I'm going to bet nobody's heard of him. But he started all the college fraternities. <laughs> I don't think so. Oh. I made the mistake of saying this a few weeks back, and one of my listeners said, uh, no, I know about this guy because you've talked about him before. Not this guy, but okay. uh, anyway. So Joe Phi. Now, he became famous throughout Arizona Territory uh, for the time he outfought the Indians and saved his cargo. Now, Joe had no intention of doing anything unusual that day. He just got up. He went about his normal work, getting everything harnessed and ready to go. And his swamper, you know, helping him. So he's 20 years old. And he actually appeared younger than he was uh, just because he was clean shaven, you know, not the typical uh, beard and mustache. He's 20 years of. old. He's still a kid. Yeah, he really is. So anyway, uh, Joe uh, uh, approached. Uh, uh, he was on the back of the near wheeler. Okay, so he's riding this, this mule. Okay, yeah. uh, uh, right next to the wagon on the okay. left side. Gotcha. And it's a 10-mule team that he's got. Okay. Now, in his left hand, he holds what they called, as I mentioned, the jerk line. Right. Which is how he guides them. Right. In his left, uh, uh, and then he had a brake rope also that was tied to a saddle horn uh, bec- so that he could pull on, you know, hit the brakes if he has to. Now... What about jumping? <laughs> we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Now, you know, Western movies and stuff always show these guys dressed to the hilt, you know. This guy was just dressed in ordinary work clothes. He did carry a nice Colt forty five on his right hip. Now, behind the Teamster, okay, was a four-inch tire Studebaker wagon. Now, I tried to find this. And I could not find it. Maybe some of our listeners know. When it says a four-inch tire Studebaker wagging, I'm assuming that's how wide. Yeah, but the I'll tell you, wagon. a man that you need to call and contact, he can give you all this information. Ray Bagby knows yes, everything right. about these old okay. Studebaker wagons. So the first wagon was a four-inch. The second wagon was a three-inch Studebaker yeah. wagon, and the trail wagon was kind of a lightweight one. It was called a Shuttler wagon and it was named after a guy named Peter Shuttler who was a wagon maker back back east. Okay. So anyway on this on the seat of the trail wagon sat the swamper and his name was Mac McNulty. So we'll just call him uh, Mac. So here we go. There's a military escort consisting of a sergeant and 12 troopers from K Company, 1st New Mexico Volunteer Cavalry, and they rode along in their proper positions for security of the wagons. However, 
since the only vegetation large enough to hide any Indians was an occasional mesquite uh, tree, they didn't seem to be too, uh, what should we say, on guard. They were a little uh, daydreaming type. Yeah, lackadaisical. Yeah, they weren't paying yeah. too much attention. Well, the men had hauled 8,000 pounds of freight from La Paz on the Colorado and were on the last day of the trip to Prescott, Arizona territory so you know where that is mm-hmm. so the date was october uh 1865 it was eight o'clock in the morning all right so here we go you got this picture we got 12 cavalry guys we got a swamper on the back wagon we got joe on the front uh near wheeler on, yep. on the mule yep. so the rig was approaching a place called woolsey's hill Woolsey's. Woolsey's Hill. It's on the east side of a place called Skull Valley. Ever heard of Skull Valley? You know, I have. Somewhere down in Arizona there. Yeah. Not too far out of Prescott. Yeah. So, anyway, the teams, wagons, and the escort, they moved slowly, uh, peacefully across the valley. The wagon wheels made the clunking noises. The fronts of the wagon beds were swaying from side to side. This wasn't any smooth ride. And Max sat on the right side of the trail wagon, and he was back there just smoking his pipe, and <laughs> he was just kind of relaxing. Now, I, he describes him as sitting there, his hat, head not moving from left to right, but his hips are going back and forth, left and right. He'd learn how to, I guess, compensate for the movement of the wagon. Uh, sounds like some dancer back in the 60s. Yeah, but it was so tranquil, like I say, that the cavalry escort, they kind of almost seemed out of place. Yeah. Well, Joe stopped his mules at the foot of this hill, this grade. And looking around, he noticed that uh, all these escort guys had gotten off their horses and were just kind of meandering around, not paying any attention. And it really, it was unlikely... Uh, that they would have any kind of an Indian attack, but this kind of bothered Joe that these guys were being pretty much careless. Really? This this escort. So what did Joe do? Oh, we're going to get there. (laughs) Don't get ahead of me, Zep. (laughs) Ten minutes later... Joe moved to his left, uh, moved his left hand up and down, causing the jerk line to tug at the leader's bits. And here we go. The rig started up this Woolsey's Hill. Pretty long stretch. After six strenuous hauls and five rest stops, the outfit stopped, and he stopped his team up on top of this hill. Uh-oh. So, in other words, he had to uh, he had to stop five times to give the the mules a chance to rest. Yeah. So it, it was a pretty good. Uh, Good, but uh, now he's at the top. Yeah, now he's at the top. This doesn't bode well. Okay, so while resting his mules, uh, uh, Joe looked at the uh, harness of one of his mules, and as he was looking, he saw an arrow pass from left to right, just clearing the back of the mule. Uh huh. Several shots were fired from the mesquite north of the wagons. The plot thickens. Oh, my goodness. So they were under attack. <laughs> Joe, from his saddle. He was on a saddle on this uh, mule. Yeah. Okay. Wishing he was in the wagon. Yeah. And he ran forward. He jumped off, ran forward, and grabbed the mules, the leaders. The leaders. And he grabbed their bits, the the, the uh, halter. Okay. And he, his next attention was attracted to the rear guard. Uh, in other words, the escort. Okay, now picture this, Zeb. He's on the ground. He's being attacked, him and Mac. Uh, the rear guard uh, escort passed him at a dead run, heading the other direction. This doesn't sound right. They were all stampeding. They would. There would be no fight between the escort and the Indians. So the military escort was basically getting the heck out of Dodge. They were, go, they were headed out. That's not good. Okay, now the mules moved quickly to the left. Joe led them in a circle until he reached the front wheel of the first wagon, and he tied the leader 
to it. So you got this picture. You got this circle of mules yeah. tied to the one, the fir- first wagon. And there were ten of them. Yes. Okay. And two wagons behind that. Yeah. All right? Kind of a uh, train. Yeah. So you've got this circle of mules all right, yeah. tied up. Now, Mac McNulty, uh, when the shooting started, he grabbed his rifle and leaped to the ground, and he landed on his feet beside the trail wagon, and he crouched, ready to fire from the hip at any and all Indians. But instead of seeing a war party, he saw the rear guard, the escort, run past him on a panic-stricken run. That must have given him a real feeling of insecurity. Yeah, thanks, guys. Yeah. So Mac then ran toward Joe, who was uh, tying the leaders to the wagon. So it's just the two of these yeah, guys. Yeah. So Joe, who had actually unharnessed a mule, said, Mac, get on this mule and get after the escort and try to get them to come back. <laughs> or get to Prescott and get some help to come and help me. Well, he was going to stand off yeah. everybody? So he's by himself now. Holy moly. All right. Well, without hesitation, Mac jumped on the mule, and Joe, crouching low, he fired four shots from his colt in the direction of the Indians. The mule started after the soldiers at a run, and with Mac lying low over his neck the first 400 yards, the mule was so scared he forgot to buck. Well, I'll tell you what, I've got pictures of Festus in my mind. <laughs> okay. Well, Mac soon caught the escort. But no one would return to help Joe. He caught up with these guys. And they were paid to do that. Yeah, that was their job. So all, even the sergeant, pretended to have lost his ability to understand English. <laughs> Mac, so Mac, you can picture this, he's pleading and arguing and threatening. He says, you know, we got to go back and help. Well, no, didn't work. So anyway, after trying repeatedly to rally the men, McNulty, Mac, decided he was accomplishing nothing besides tiring out his mule. So he headed at a fast trot for Prescott, Arizona. How far was that? About 10 miles to the east. Holy moly. And he was cursing some words that we can't, that are not printed here. Mm-hmm. Uh, for every kind of coward he could think of uh, for those soldiers. What? In the world? Yeah. Well, anyway, after Mac's departure, Joe removed his hawk and rifle. You've heard of those. Oh, yeah. Cartridge box, canteen, and a second six-shooter from the wagon. He sprang into the center of the circle of the mules. So if you got this picture here, we've got a circle of mules and two, uh, three wagons. Why would and he go in the center? Per, for protection. From how was he leaning up against the mules or I, what? I don't know. He was just in the middle of them. So the Indians, who seemed to number about 25, they had fired on him when he was gathering the equipment, and Joe quickly assessed the damage. Two mules were down, dying of bullet wounds. An arrow had passed through the tail of Joe's coat. He saw at 70... Wait a minute, passed through the tail of his coat? Yeah, he had on a coat, and it uh, missed. Uh, yeah, it did. It missed. <laughs> so he saw at about 75 yards a clump of grass move a little bit. So Joe fired his rifle, and the ball hit the grass, which proved to be attached to an attacker. So that took care of one. Uh-huh. Three Apaches tried to close in as he reloaded his rifle. He killed them with his handgun, then uh, stooped behind a mule as a bunch of bullets and arrows were sent his way. So he's hiding down behind this mule. Yeah, so we're down to 21, or 20. Yeah, something like that. Okay. 21. Okay. Well, uh, when the firing stopped, the, the bodies of the, end, the three that he shot were gone. So they had come in and uh, Picked up, taken yeah. them off. Yeah. Well, another mule was down, two arrows protruding from his side, and the Apaches attacked again. Joe drove them off with his colt, killing two more. 
Wow. Right? That will keep her down to About 18. 18. Yeah. Now, Joe's marksmanship was discouraging, and the Apaches fell back into the mesquites and giving their intended victim a little rest. So Joe, lying in the center of nine, now we got nine dead or dying animals. He's only got three of, left. No, he, it was a 10 mule. Oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah. So he's not much left here. Uh, anyway, uh, he finished uh, loading his rifle, and then he put fresh cylinders in his Colt 45s. Well, he happened to glance toward a wagon in time to see, below the bed of the first one, two brown legs moving in his direction. Joe shifted position so that he lay facing that wagon. He held a colt partially raised. When someone peeped around the corner, uh, Joe fired, and that was the end of that particular peeping Indian. Yeah, 15 now. Yeah, something like that. Well, unexpectedly, the Indians decided to negotiate. All right. They want. They, wait a minute. All these Indians wanted uh, to negotiate uh, with just Joe. Yeah, an Indian that Joe could see said, "Hello, you walk away. We no shoot." It's kind of like that uh, uh, Tom uh, Selleck movie. Remember that uh, yeah, one? Yeah, yeah. 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 He was, so uh, Joe said no. Now remember, this started at eight o'clock in the morning. The time was now about one o'clock. And the young teamster, Joe, was still full of fight, and the Apaches were, at this point, getting a little reluctant to have more Braves killed by this solitary marksman. Yeah, their chief's saying, go up here and get them, and the other Indians are going, you go get them, Yeah, chief. you go get them. Yeah. Okay, in the meantime, Mac, who had ridden as fast as he dared, was about this time arriving at his destination. The citizens of Prescott were presented with the sights and sounds of an angry, very angry, mad Scotsman trotting into town on an exhausted mule, shouting the news of Joe's situation. Well, within 10 minutes, 50 men were en route to Joe's assistance. They traveled in silence for about 8 miles. The road was uphill, uh, so steep that some places they had to, could only walk. Well, 5 miles from town, they met Joe's escort. The cavalry. Oh, this ought to be interesting. Yeah, so, and, uh, but they passed without a word. All right, you wow. know they didn't say, "Hey, those come guys and help got us. off scot free." Yeah. So now it's by now it's at two o'clock in the afternoon. So the members of the rescue party had descended out of the pines and into the scrub oak. They were getting close to Joe if he still was alive. They didn't know what they'd find, uh, but they thought he would sh- hear a shot. So an old man sh- fired a shotgun. Joe heard and realized that help was on its way. The Apaches all also heard they took off they left they left now no member of the rescues expected to find joe alive they were even agreeably surprised when the wagons were sighted because they figured they'd be burned and plundered yeah joe dead everything gone you know but the nine mules were lying in a circle dead in the center of that circle alive and well with joe five he'd saved his cargo and anyway they made quite a fuss over him for being Mm. You know, a pretty brave guy. Here he well, is. Well, I hope you know? to shout. Well, anyway, Joe Fye's reputation for absolute fearlessness and being a dead shot with both pistol and rifle began with this fight. But Joe seemed a little depressed for a month or so after this battle. And someone might think that he suffered from nerves or whatever because of the terrible ordeal. But actually, Joe was grieving for his mules. He, you know, they got to oh, sure, really you get an attachment, sure. Their horses and yeah. and he felt really bad that he had lost. Well, he lost all but one, right? Yeah. Well, no, he lost the nine. The other one is the one that Mac rode into. Oh, Prescott. yeah. Yeah. 
So, but let me tell you a little bit about these guys, these Teamsters. These were these were some interesting group of people. Okay, they delivered clothing and building materials, utensils, dishes, tools, food, flour, sugar, yeah. coffee, to th- and thousands of other goods from the factories and the docks in the east to the west. Right. So, uh, in 1857 alone, some 300 merchants and freighters were engaged in commerce to the frontier, with records showing a total of almost 10,000 wagons loaded going back and forth between the territories. My, my. So before the railroads were built, uh, these wagon trains pulled by, usually by mules, but sometimes oxen. Horses, of course, wouldn't wouldn't hold up. Uh, but uh, anyway, that's what they used. And they usually consisted of 10 to 30 Heavy, high-wheeled wagons. Now, it says 30, and I ain't thinking that's a lot of wagons to pull. Oh and each goodness. pulled by a team of anywhere from as little as six up to 20 animals pulling these wagons. Yeah. And people called them bushwhackers for teams of oxen. And I didn't realize this, Zeb, but the bushwhackers were the ones that rode that the teamsters that had oxen. Okay, the mule skinners were th- for the ones that uh, had mules that pulled. Okay. And I didn't know there was a distinction oh. between those two. Okay. But they drove the wagons and guarded the freight, and these were the original Teamsters, and back then the term had real meaning. Okay. Uh, I know, we're running out of time. I'm, I'm running slim. Okay. So, just real quickly, these guys were considered the lowest on the rung of the social ladder. Why? They were dirty. They were unkempt. They were, says, vermin-infested hair and clothing. Oh, my goodness. Just grubby-looking guys, jailbirds, desperados. But some of them were good guys, like Joe. But one thing that the bullwhackers and mule skinners used was a whip, a bull whip, And they really could take the, the, a fly off the ear of a mule uh, with a 10 to 20-foot bullwhip. So mm. they were very, very good. In fact, if you ever got in a fight, you didn't want to get in a fight with a, uh, one of these guys with the bullwhip because they'd take you. Let's do a follow-up on this next week. Okay. Uh, that's an interesting story. I'm flat out of time. I know. But uh, let's do more on the Teamsters. And uh, maybe you could talk a little bit about that, uh, what was it, 20-mule team borax that went yeah. through Death Valley? Yeah. Yeah, let's talk about that. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that you know Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. <laughs>